0: Twelve, Romans chapter 12. Now I'm going to read and preach verses 6 through 8 this morning where Paul talks about spiritual gifts and the fact that God has given all the different members of the body different gifts to be used for the good of the body, for the building up of the body in love. So whether you're young or old... A new Christian or a seasoned saint, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has given you gifts to serve his body. And our verses this morning tell us what some of those gifts are and encourage us to use them and to use them with a right heart, a right attitude. And one of the things I trust the Lord will do in us as we humbly receive his word together is that he'll help us become less selfish. Which is our natural sinful tendency. And he'll help us become more servant hearted in our attitude, the way we look at our life, the way we look at our life together as a local church. By the grace of God, our selfishness will shrink and our servant heartedness will grow as we humbly receive the word together this morning. So let's pray for that and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would shrink our selfishness and grow our servant-heartedness as we put ourselves under the light of your word now together. We thank you for giving each one of us gifts to be used to serve the body. Help us to learn more about what those gifts are and how to use them with the right heart. And we thank you most of all for the fact that they are gifts, gifts of grace, given to us because of your gracious work on the cross for us. Thank you for serving us by dying for us so that we could have new life. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Romans 12, reading verses 6 through 8. This is God's word to us. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, As you can see in your sermon notes, we're going to look first at gifts of grace, focusing on the first part of verse 6, and then we'll spend the rest of our time on the list of gifts in the second half of verse 6 and down through verse 8. So gifts of grace, and then the list of gifts that Paul gives us. He says in the first part of verse 6 there, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us Let us use them. Let us use them. So as a body, as a local church, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Just like a physical body has various parts that differ from one another, and yet at the same time are all important and useful to the whole body. So we, as a church, as the body of Christ, have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us by God. We're called to use those gifts to serve the body, to build up the body in love. And I think it's important for us to realize that God has given each one of us gifts as believers. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Or as he put it back up in verse 3, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each. We've all been given gifts to serve the body. Whether you've been a Christian for many decades or you've become a Christian only just recently, God has given you spiritual gifts according to the grace given to you to use to serve the body that you're a part of. Children and elderly members and empty nesters and teenagers and college students and Young married couples and singles of all ages, all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ have been given gifts by Christ to use to serve his body. There's no such thing as a giftless church member. If you're part of the body, you have a function to fulfill. You have been given gifts by the giver. And notice Paul says we have gifts that differ according to The grace given to us. These are gifts of grace, which is to say we haven't earned them, and we don't deserve to have them. That's why they're called gifts, because they're given to us by grace, by the unmerited favor of God. And I think one of the implications of that is that God gets the glory when we use our gifts. He's the one who gave them to us, so he's the one who gets the glory when we use them. The giver gets the glory, as it's been said. The exercise of gifts is meant to bring glory to the giver, not the exerciser. Using our gifts to serve the body is fulfilling, but self-fulfillment is not the goal. Using our gifts to serve the body is encouraging, But personal encouragement is not the goal. The goal of our gifts is the glory of God and the good of the body. God has given us gifts by His grace and for His glory. Now, at this point, you may be asking the question well, what are the gifts? And how do I know which ones I have? I imagine that some of you at some point in the past have filled out one of those spiritual gifts assessments or questionnaires or inventories and perhaps you found them helpful or maybe not, I don't know. I don't think we necessarily need to fill out a spiritual gifts assessment in order to discover and use our gifts. God's people down through the ages have seemed to get along just fine without spiritual gifts assessments. Of course, they can be helpful but I think it's important to say that they can also be harmful, potentially. They can give us a wrong understanding of the gifts theologically. They can give us a wrong idea of what our particular gifts are. They can give us a false sense of absolved responsibility if we don't possess a certain gift. The classic version being something like well, evangelism's not really my gift. See, the, the questionnaire says so right here. Not recognizing that all Christians are called to evangelize. Used rightly and discerningly, perhaps spiritual gifts assessments can be helpful, but I think a better way is to study the Bible prayerfully, to look for opportunities to serve the body, and then just to jump in somewhere and start Swimming. And trust God to lead you and guide you as you serve, and to help you discern as time unfolds how you can best serve the body. Sort of like a baseball player who's not sure what position he should play, but instead of staying in the dugout, waiting until he's sure, he tells the coach he's happy to play wherever he's needed, and perhaps he plays different positions over time as he uh, works to find the one he's best at. So, I would say, don't stay in the dugout. Get in the game and trust God to lead you and guide you over time into the right position. And notice what the command is in the first part of verse 6 Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's the command in verse 6. Let us use them. The gifts aren't supposed to be like trophies that sit on the shelf and gather dust. They're supposed to be like tools that are used, like a broom or a rake. They're not meant to sit there. They're meant to be put to good use, to serve the body. And unlike some tools, our gifts get sharper with use. They get stronger with exercise. So let us use them. Let us use them in the strength that God supplies. Now, there are seven gifts listed here, though I don't think seven is meant to signify completeness here, like it is so often in the book of Revelation, because this actually isn't a complete list of the gifts. It's not an exhaustive list, it's a representative list, a representative sample of spiritual gifts. There are other passages in the New Testament where the various gifts are mentioned And the easy way to remember them is by the numbers 12 and 4, 12 and 4. So Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and then Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. And let me show you them. Turn ahead to 1 Corinthians 12 for a minute, or you can just listen as I read. 1 Corinthians... 1 Corinthians 12, I'll start at verse 1, and then I'll read select verses from the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Okay, I think we've found the right chapter. Look down at verse 4. By the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Then skip down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, And individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts and i will show you a still more excellent way by which he's referring to the way of love laid out famously in 1st corinthians chapter 13 now some of those gifts ceased to be needed or given after the time of the apostles after the foundation of the church had already been laid and i'll say more about that in a minute when we talk about prophecy but for now turn ahead to ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians 4 and verse 7 more briefly than the 1 Corinthians passage Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift therefore it says when he ascended on high and he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and down to verse 11. and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And finally turn to First Peter. Chapter four. First Peter, four verses 10 and 11. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So those are the different lists of gifts in the New Testament, 12 and 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And let me say one thing here by way of application and then we'll look at the list of gifts in Romans 12. God intends for every believer to be on the field, not in the dugout. He intends for every believer to be in the game, not on the sidelines. Sometimes we might wonder, well, what can what can I do to serve the church? I don't have the gifts that so-and-so has. I'm not very outgoing or extroverted. I've never been to seminary. I don't feel particularly great about speaking in front of other people. I'm not very good at leading things. Maybe I'll just stay here in the dugout or on the sidelines. Well, God intends for every believer, including you, to be on the field, in the game, You may not have the gifts that so-and-so has, but so-and-so doesn't have the gifts you have. You may not be very outgoing or extroverted, but there are lots of ways that you can serve the body behind the scenes. You may have never been to seminary, but you can make a helpful comment during Sunday school or share a Bible verse with someone who is in need of encouragement, something that's encouraged you from God's word. You may not feel great about speaking in front of other people, but you can work up the courage to pray for someone after they've shared a prayer request with you. And what a great encouragement that can be to them. God intends for every believer to be on the field and in the game. We're meant to be players, not spectators. We're meant to be contributors, not consumers. Some of the passages I just read, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Or verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Or Ephesians 4, 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Finally, First Peter four ten, as each has received a gift, use it, To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each of us has received a gift or gifts. So, empowered by the Spirit, let's use them to serve one another. Let's use them for the common good of the body of Christ. Don't stay in the dugout, run out onto the field. Don't stay on the sidelines, get in the game well, what are the gifts God gives us? We've just read some of them in the other passages, but let's look secondly now at the list of gifts we find in the second half of verse six down through verse eight. And again, there are seven of them, and I'll say something brief about each of them, and then we'll close with a few more points of application at the end. The first one is prophecy. Paul says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. That is, if you have the gift of prophecy, then prophesy according to the proportion of your faith. Now, there are different views on what prophecy and the gift of prophecy is referring to, but it seems clear to me that it was a gift and an office that was active during the time of the apostles while the foundation of the church was being laid But after the time of the apostles, it's no longer active or needed in the church. Paul says in Ephesians 2.20 that the church, the household of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the foundation's already been laid, and now we're building on top of it. The foundation does not need to be laid again. And since the foundation doesn't need to be perpetually laid, the offices of apostle and prophet don't need to be perpetually active. The study note in the Reformation Study Bible puts it this way, helpfully. The foundation of God's house was laid once for all by the New Testament apostles and prophets. The fact that they make up the foundation of the church is an indicator that these offices have passed away. Since the foundation has been laid, there is no longer any need for apostles and prophets in the church. Until Christ returns, the church will build on this foundation, not by adding new revelation, but by coming to an ever fuller understanding of what the apostles have given us and an ever more faithful application of their teaching to believers. Scripture is sufficient. God's word is enough. We don't need more revelation than the revelation God's already given us. The word count in the Bible is exactly right, and we don't need to add to it. And if we're discontent with the incalculable riches God has given us in the Bible, as we sometimes are, well then the problems are discontentment, of course. The problem's not the Bible. If the heir of Bill Gates is discontent, the problem's with the heir, not the inheritance. What do we sing together? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Secondly, Paul says in the first part of verse 7, if service in our serving, that is, if you have the gift of serving, then serve. Use it in serving. If you're a hand, don't try to be an eye. Be content to be a hand. Be the best hand you can be. Don't try to be someone you're not. We need you to be you, not someone else. Who God's made you to be in creation and redeemed you to be in Christ and gifted you to be in the body. If service in our serving. Now, Paul may be referring to the office of deacon here for a few different reasons. It's hard to be sure, but we can be sure that we are all called to serve. We're all called to serve the Lord. Paul says down in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't serve the Lord like a sloth. Serve the Lord like a gazelle. And we're also called to serve each other. Galatians 5.13, for example, through love serve one another. We're all supposed to serve, to serve the Lord and to serve each other. We're not supposed to serve ourselves or expect others to serve us, our expectation should be to serve like our Savior. We should come into church like Christ came into the world, not to be served, but to serve. Third and fourth ones we'll take together, second half of verse 7. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. That is, if you have the gift of teaching, use it to teach. If you have the gift of exhortation, use it to exhort. Teaching and exhortation are functions that are primarily fulfilled by church elders, but secondarily by church members, by the whole church, since we're called to teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. Or as Paul says in Romans 15, verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, writing to all the believers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Those who teach and exhort don't produce the word, as in prophecy, they proclaim the word that's already been produced, And apply that word to people's lives. So when you teach and exhort, you're not the one writing the letter, you're the mailman delivering it. You're not the cook in the kitchen making the food, you're the waiter serving it to others. It's God's word that we teach each other, it's God's word that we exhort each other to follow. fifth, number five, call it verse 8b, the one who contributes in generosity. Now, there's a slight shift here in mentioning the final three gifts in the list. Paul focuses not so much on that we should use them as on how we should use them. He says the one who contributes should contribute how? Generously, And of course, whether you have this particular gift by God's gracious providence or not, we're all called to contribute generously, no matter our means. Like the Christians in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So it wasn't the church begging these believers to give, they were begging to give to the church begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, which is the grace of God at work in them. We're all of us called to give generously and sacrificially and gladly and cheerfully. We're called to contribute to the needs of the saints, as Paul says down in verse 13. So give a tithe of your income to your local church. Give offerings over and above the tithe as you're able. Give to the deacon's fund after communion to help them administer mercy to those who are in need. If you learn of a need among your fellow church members, consider meeting that need yourself. Support one of the missionaries we support as a church. Support other missionaries doing gospel work. Don't contribute sparingly or begrudgingly. Contribute generously. And cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And above all, give in light of the gospel, give because of all you've been given. Gift number six. Verse 8c, the one who leads with zeal. And I think this is primarily referring referring to the elders of a local church who've been called to shepherd the flock, who've been called to lead God's people spiritually. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says... and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory your elders here at CRPC are called by God to lead you dear congregation we're not supposed to domineer over you that would be abusing our authority nor are we supposed to be passive or permissive or cowardly that would also be abusing the authority god's given us to protect you and to build you up we're not supposed to overlead you or underlead you we're supposed to lead you to shepherd you spiritually to exercise oversight of you and to set a godly example for you Acts twenty twenty eight, Paul's word to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So pray for us, please, as we seek to lead you like Christ leads us, as we seek to shepherd you as the chief shepherd shepherds us. Gift number seven. Last part of verse eight. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Doing acts of mercy toward those who need mercy should be done with cheerfulness. If you help someone, but you do it with a bad attitude, It's actually unhelpful, isn't it? Sort of like when you go to some fast food restaurants and the person behind the counter who's supposed to serve you seems bothered by you. They're bothered by the fact that they have to serve you and their attitude almost makes you feel sort of guilty for coming in. And if they serve you with a bad attitude, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, no matter the taste of the food. When we do acts of mercy for each other, we want to do so with cheerfulness. We want the aroma of Christ to hang in the air when we leave. We want to give mercy as those who need mercy and have received mercy. So that's the list of gifts Paul gives us in these verses I want to mention three things briefly by way of application as we close. Number one, all this should remind us of the priority of relationships in the body of Christ. Every single one of us has gifts that the rest of the body needs. And we use those gifts in the context of relationships, don't we? You can't use your gifts alone on a desert island. So don't be an island when it comes to relationships with your fellow church members. Attend corporate worship morning and evening every Lord's Day. Linger after the services and relate to those around you. Reach out to one another during the week. Gather for prayer meeting in the middle of the week. Invite people into your home. Invite people into your life. Have meaningful relationships with the people you've committed yourself to in your membership vows. Use your gifts to serve the body. Don't be an island. God's adopted you into a family. Secondly, as I mentioned at the beginning, by the grace of God... I think all this can shrink our selfishness and grow our servant-heartedness. The very fact that God has given us gifts that are for the good of others helps us turn outward towards each other instead of inward toward ourselves, which is our natural sinful tendency, like an ingrown hare. God gave us gifts for the good of others, God gave us gifts not for our own self-fulfillment, but for the building up of the body of Christ. So the goal of the gifts is the glory of God and the good of the body. And these truths are the soil in which selfishness shrivels and servant-heartedness grows and thrives. Third, and finally, The fact that these are called gifts should, of course, remind us that there is a giver behind them. We have gifts according to the grace given to us by God. God is the one who's given us these gifts. God is the one who empowers us to use them. And God is the one who gets the glory when we use them. As Peter said in 1 Peter four eleven, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The giver gets the glory. Let's pray together. Our God, we thank you for giving each one of us gifts to serve the body. Please empower us to use them for each other's good, and most of all, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute to think and pray about what we've heard, and then we'll sing together.